It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Back with you for another installment of J.C. and Morgan. It's number 201. We shed the tuxedos. We put away the fireworks that took place for number 200. And uh, enjoyed a little bit of vacation, but we're back and uh, going strong each and every week. Now he's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And we've got a lot, uh, a lot of stuff to get to here today. Um, Aaron Murray will be our guest, former Georgia quarterback, all-time passing leader in SEC history. Uh, we we kind of s- stopped the consecutive quarterback derby uh where we had everybody from Shane Matthews to Tim Couch and Greg McElroy and Ryan Leaf etc uh but we had Gary Barnett last week which I really wish we we could have timed that a week later since he coached at Northwestern and coached one Pat Fitzgerald we'll get into that later on um Aaron will join us uh at the top of the hour and uh, uh we'll talk to him about a number of things he's now with the uh sec network among other places so he's breaking down stuff Aaron's a busy dude uh stay he's on all over the internet doing a number of stuff we'll get into that with him but one of the best quarterbacks uh, to come through the southeastern conference uh in this last generation Uh, the numbers are there the productivity is there uh and jc you and i were both at that 2012 game where they're eight yards away from it, it took it took another decade, but they could have been they could have been reigning supreme if that one pass isn't tipped, uh, and they get the eight yard touchdown, beat Alabama. They they would probably go on to whip whip Notre Dame and win a national championship uh, in in 2012. Uh, but we'll talk to Aaron about that. We'll get into our mailbox. So you folks going on to the website jcandmorgan.com, uh, picking up some swag, dropping your email suggestions we read them on the air we love that we'll do a little five and dime on the movie front and uh the jc5 it's becoming a a household name it's uh kids are at the dinner table now discussing it with their parents you know it's it's pretty much secondary to uh how was your day at school uh it was good mom but i'd like to talk about the jc5 and break down the five topics past the potatoes that's really uh, what Americana is all about. It's it's about J.C. Sherbert and the five subjects that we will talk about. But uh, before we get into all that, J.C., uh, happy uh, post-4th of July. Hope it went well for you, and uh, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Good to be back. Uh, good to uh, be talking college football right now. And uh, got a little R&R in the mountains of Tennessee last week and yeah uh, gatlinburg right f- yeah fired i got a bear ate the utv that is running. priceless <laughs> get, go go look on jc we we, didn't, we don't mention this enough uh twitter at morgan on air at jc sherbert uh somebody stole morgan on air on instagram so i had to add 22 my high school number to it <laughs> um but you're at jc sherbert on mm. all across social media you actually posted the video of the bear in your rental uh, vehicle and, yes. and and raiding your cooler, right? It was weird. Yeah, it was. It was one of those. Uh, 
they call them maybe ITVs. It's it's one you can't take it off road, but it kind of is like an off road golf cart kind of deal. Uh, and the fiance and I had a nice little uh, trip through the uh, Blue Ridge, or sorry, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, one of the trails there, and saw some uh, old cabins people used to live in. Saw some rapids, saw some waterfalls. Came back to took and take a nap. This was July fifth, the day before we were leaving. Then we walk outside to take the thing back. And one of the kids was like, hey, a bear ate the, the the vehicle. And I was like, what? And so this bear had ended up taking the big hunk out of the vehicle or whatever. So I got to take, take it back. So I'm going, the cabin we have is up on a mountain. So I'm going down the mountain. And all of a sudden, it's like that scene from Ghostbusters where uh, Bill Murray's like, come in, Ray. It's looking at me, Ray. Because there's a gigantic bear in the middle of the road staring at me. And so I'm thinking this huge bear had taken, you know, his teeth or her teeth to the to the UTV. So I ended up revving the engine. The bear runs off, scampers, whatever, afraid. Well, come to find out, the neighbors in the other cabin had taken video, and, and it wasn't that bear. It was a smaller baby type of bear, who which we had seen. We had seen a smaller bear running around causing mischief, trying to get in trash cans. So I'm convinced the bear I saw in the in the road was the mom staring at me like, have you seen my son? Because he is in trouble. <laughs> uh, and uh, sure enough, that little bear got in there, ate the seat, got into the cooler. Um, look, we're not dumb. We didn't leave. You're not supposed to leave food out there. We didn't leave any food. It was a, it was a Coca-Cola in there and a bottle of water. And, and the bear bit down on the, coal, on, the, on the Coke and exploded on him. And uh, he tried to get in the water or whatever. Uh, and the neighbors videotaped the whole thing. And so, um, yeah, that was an interesting encounter. Um, and, and what was otherwise a pretty uh, relaxing trip to the Smoky Mountains and uh, all that. Saw a lot of Tennessee fans with their UT stuff on uh, up there. So I know the Vols are getting excited about uh, this football season. But that was uh, that I've, that's never happened to me before. A, a bear eating a, an SU. Yeah, that was like, that was just nuts. I, I there There's... You know, like people say, I'm crazy. I, I like swimming deep in the ocean, and you know there's sharks out there. We just had Shark Week um, on whatever it is, National Geographic or whatever channel carries that. And and I, it doesn't phase me. I think about it, but it doesn't phase me. Um, I've seen a lot of wildlife. Not a whole lot, like, really freaks me out. But I remember when we were kids, there was a movie called Faces of Death. And it was it was framed as a documentary. I, I later learned when I was older, old enough to uh, understand that <laughs> a lot of that was fake. Not all of it, but a lot of it was, which mm-hmm. kind of made me wonder, like, what was the point? Because it wasn't a horror movie. It, again, it was framed as a documentary by a, an actual like doctor. But th- there's a scene in there where. A couple is somewhere in the mountains. Okay, it could have been Gatlinburg. I don't know. I don't really tell you. And um, all of a sudden, they see a bear, and the, the the husband is like, "Oh, this would be a good time to do some filming." And the bear just stands up and <laughs> devours the guy. And I can't remember. I think that was fake, uh, but I'm not even entirely sure. Anyway, long story short. Since then, I've had, uh, whether you want to call it a fear or concern, like you tell me there's bears around and I'm I'm not messing around. 
Um, you know, the wife and I did Gatlinburg a couple of years ago. We didn't see any. We just did Estes Park in Colorado, where mm. you're up like from 4,000 to 12,000 feet, and there's elk, moose all over the place. And yes, there are bears, and they tell you, don't be surprised if you see a bear. And I'm like, wait, wait, excuse me? So I'm not yeah. afraid of an elk or a moose, although you don't want to mess with a moose now. No, don't mess with a moose. Don't mess with a moose. Moose is, you know, kind of like they talk about linemen that have a high motor. Moose, the moose have high motors. Okay? They'll get after you. They'll, they'll get after you, and, and they're tenacious. Uh, I, I don't mess around with bears. So, thankfully, I've never seen one up close or even, you know, other than a zoo. Uh, and I've never obviously had your experience, thank goodness. But yeah, I, bears. Yeah. Ever since so, that video and Faces of Death, I'm like, no, thank and, you. And that movie Grizzly Man, which uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think the Grizzly Man was pretty similar to the Ocean Gate sub guy. You know, he's just kind of uh, tempted. Did you see fate. the Edge? Yeah. Huh? Did you see with, the movie? I didn't see Grizzly Man. Did you see the Edge with Alec mm-hmm. Baldwin? It. Oh man. Now that rent it. Okay. Well, I will. That that's a five and timer. When that's on, I'm watching. And that's that's about a uh what is it, the Kodiak bear in Alaska. Mm -hmm. They get stranded in Alaska. And it's very real. They use a real bear, like it's not like some guy in a costume. Uh and and those are man eaters. Those and 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 they are trying to this bear is like following them. And outsmarting them at every turn, and uh, I won't uh, spoiler alert. The bear does have his way with one of the the group, uh, but yeah, you don't you don't want to mess around. So, so between those two films, yeah, when you, when you say bear, I'm I'm running. Yeah, and yeah, there's different I mean, the, the brown bears, which are the grizzlies, which are out west, which is what you would have run into in Colorado. They're a little bit more of concern. Black bears, the ones you get in, in Tennessee and the Smoky Mountains. Look, you don't want to mess with them, right? But they are very like, you know, uh, skittish around humans. You know, right? It, you let them little... know that they that that you yeah. know they're there is what they tell you, right? Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. And what I did when I saw the the, the bears just stared at me, not growling or anything. And I just you know the, those those UTVs make a lot of noise. I just read the because I was like, huh, she's in the middle of the road. If I try to go around and she attacks this thing. And then uh, so I just read up the engine. It was, she was like, oh, and like, you know, bounded off. But I, I'm convinced she was looking for her mischievous son who, who just had eaten the, the, the UTV. But anyway, the, those bears are, you know, they say just don't feed them because when you feed them, they come back because they, they, they're they always looking for yeah. food. Oh, I mean, yeah. you have to understand the life of a bear, dude. They only have so many months and then they go get in their cave and right. go to sleep for six months. They got to eat as much as they can. Before, before, you know, so they're eating everything, you know, um, but, but those black bears uh, are, are based there. There are a lot of them are, are herbivores. I mean, they, they eat twigs and bark and uh, a lot of stuff like that, but, uh, right. the, the, but they're, they're still wild animals and you don't want to mess with them. But that was, I, I've never seen, I, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, when I yeah. our last day uh, and a bear goes and tears up the, it only cost me 50 bucks. Uh, with the rental company to get the seat cover replaced, but that's uh, thank God that that was that's all not covered was. on the insurance, is it? No, no, bear attack. Fifty bucks and a story for a lifetime. That's well worth it. Yes, uh, that's well worth it. All right. Uh, what are you guys talking football? All right, we're getting to it right now. Okay, that wasn't quite as long as a, a dialogue 
as we had on the uh, the submarine. <laughs> we were just fixated on that for probably too long. Okay, so we got we got basically thirty minutes to break down the JC five before we get into our uh, uh, conversation with Aaron Murray. So here it is, JC five producer play the sounder. <laughs> JC five. Okay, number five. What are we looking at? Okay, Mike, uh, here is the five. And uh, Big 12 Media Days with some new faces and some old faces. Uh, it's got to kind of be a little uncomfortable, um, I think, maybe for some. Uh, so uh, pretty interesting times out there, too. Uh, also, given the aggressiveness of that league uh, and, and all that. So uh, Brett Yormack and, and his group, uh, who I think are quickly becoming the, the number three conference, uh, kind of interesting storylines. Yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about uh, the Big 12. I, I think this has been the conference to look out for for a while. Like the SEC and Big 10 are going to reign supreme over college football probably the rest of our natural-born lives. I don't think anybody is going to put a dent into either one of those leagues. The SEC clearly number one, the, the Big 10 clearly number two, and then there is a line of demarcation both financially, success on the field, uh attendance you know just a number of things uh, no knock on the other leagues but i do think this is not going to be the big two and then the other three i think it's going to be the big two and then it's going to be uh the acc and and the big 12 and if the big 12 plays their cards right they can create distance from the acc uh, I think the four editions I'm on record since it was announced and they're, they've been officially entered now talking about to what, what UCF, BYU, Houston. And um, I always forget one just for Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Cincinnati thank you. Uh, next time I'll forget Houston. And the time after that, I'll forget yeah. BYU. I always forget so, West Virginia for some reason. West Virginia, the big 12. Yeah. yeah. Well, some would say they're the big 12 would like to forget West Virginia in the big 12 because that hasn't been necessarily the best fit in the world. But nevertheless, um, I, I think the Big 12 is not done. I think the, the the conversation this week, other than Oklahoma, Texas, with their swan song, and Texas is going to be the overwhelming favorite to win the league this year, the the other talking point has to be uh, you know, what's, what's next, because there's all kinds of rumors out there. We're sitting here. It's mid-July. The Pac-12 still hasn't made a deal. San Diego State... Uh, clearly had visions of leaving for the Pac-12, and then all of a sudden they didn't, and it was a classic George Costanza. <laughs> you thought I was serious when I said I quit? No, come on, let's go to work, everybody. Uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan, if you remember that episode, there, there's some, this is where the the inter- internet is undefeated. Like, there are some clips of that scene, and instead of, like, Costanza's head, it's a picture of the San Diego State logo, and the boss is the Mountain West commissioner. And you've got the Pac-12 heads at the table. It's 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 funny as hell. Um, but that to me, JC, I mean, once you get past, okay, Oklahoma, Texas, and then it's going to be your typical, I think Texas Tech has really got a chance. Well, that's not a that's not a dark horse opinion anymore. A lot of people are high on Texas Tech. The 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 thing about that league that's interesting, here's what the, the Big 12 has had going for it. It's been the most unpredictable. Like TCU 
if I'm not mistaken, was predicted like seventh last year. Well, they they, they came within you know an eyelash of winning the Big Twelve, and they played in the national championship game. The year before that, it was Baylor. Baylor comes out of nowhere. Uh, so, unlike the other leagues where we always uh, not necessarily complain about it, but we point it out, they're painfully predictable. The SEC, for all its might, is painfully predictable at the top. So is the ACC. So is the Big Ten. The Big 12 has had a number of teams come out of nowhere and actually compete for the championship or win the conference championship. So that's a storyline. But I still think what most people there are going to be interested in is, okay, is Colorado coming? Uh, is Arizona Arizona State coming? What else? Nobody feels like Yormack, who I'm starting to really think is a sharp cookie. Um, we've talked on this show about good conference commissioners and not so good. I think he's actually pretty sharp, and I think he's got his eyes on adding. They're now at 12. I don't think they're done. I think they're going to join the ranks of the SEC and the Big Ten where they're closer to 16, and that might happen sooner rather than later. So, I mean, to me, those are the big the big topics in that league. Yeah, and you know he's talking up UConn, adding UConn, and all that. Um, that's that's kind of what, what what's been talked about. I, I think UConn. I think number one, they they wouldn't be doing a, a, a service to their fan base if they went to the Big Twelve. Uh, I'll just say that out front. I think Agreed. their folks are happy back in the Big East. Uh, you know, Tim Brando. We've talked to him. He's been the Big East tournament since they've been back. I mean, that's just kind of where they belong. But it has to be tempting, you know, especially now that they're kind of competitive again in football under Jim Mora. Uh, you know, I, I think you're looking at maybe a 17-team league, which would be weird, uh, and then an 18-team league uh, with Gonzaga as a basketball-only member at the end of the day if the Pac-12 falls apart. Um and look at the programs that are in this basketball conference, Mike. <laughs> Houston, Cincinnati, West Virginia, although we don't know what the future is there. Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, Iowa State, Arizona, Yukon, Gonzaga, Colorado, Utah, Arizona State. That, that's, that's the best basketball conference in the country. It spans from it coast to coast. If that, that all happens. Others, if that all happens, yeah. I mean, yeah. some would argue it's already the best basketball league in the country. But yeah, and, and, and you talk about competitive. And in football, there, there are not a lot of programs that you would define as historical powers. Uh, I think probably the most winning program, the, the two most – BYU, obviously, historically is a winning program. I think BYU and probably West Virginia, if you're looking at total number of wins all time. But, man, there are a lot of schools that have a chance, from UCF to Kansas State. Iowa State's been good under Matt Campbell. The Arizona schools have always been considered sleeping giants. you got Deion Sanders now with Colorado. Utah's basically a national power now. Um, So, yeah, you don't have the brands, but unlike the ACC, where there's just a lot of – I don't want to even call them sleeping giants – a lot of programs that are asleep right now in football – uh, you know, looking at you, Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, NC State, uh, all those schools that we used to, Miami, the schools that we used to think had a chance that just haven't been good for very long. You've got a lot of programs in this league in the Big 12 that 
yeah, they're not Texas and Oklahoma brand-wise nor tradition-wise, but they've got a chance. I mean, they've competed for championships. You mentioned Baylor, Kansas State, TCU. Um, it, it'll be, it would be an entertaining conference top to bottom if all this comes to fruition. And, and heck, I think, I think it'll be entertaining this year and mm-hmm. uh, even next year once uh, the Sooners and Longhorns leave. Yeah, I'll, I'll just uh, put a period on this saying, as someone who did games in that league for a few years, it's full of programs that you're like, oh, no, that, that really is a, an underrated program. Right. So like, you know, if you've never been to uh, Texas Tech or Kansas State or Baylor, you don't necessarily understand that their fans are just as passionate about football. Now, they don't have necessarily the numbers of some of the other schools in the Big Ten and the SEC, but they tailgate, they 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 get after it. They follow it year round. They're just as passionate. There's a lot of those in that conference. And then you add a few more that are uh, that are hungry to finally get to the so-called big time. I mean, UCF has been talking about a move like this for 20 something years, and now it's finally happened. And I can tell you that 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 fan base is ecstatic uh, about it, and they are not ambivalent towards college football. They are all in BYU has had their own TV network. They've always been a program that's produced great quarterbacks and sprung big upsets over over folks. Houston has a proud tradition and Cincinnati has been one of those group five darlings the last few years. It's clearly on the rise. So uh, that that is a league that that certainly I again, I think with the right additions uh, could could really solidify that next tier behind the SEC and the Big Ten. Number four. Number four, uh, that was San Diego State uh, and the George Costanza, which we touched on earlier, so I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the next one. All right, so here's the thing I was kicking around today, and I kicked it around on Tuscaloosa Radio. I was on 107.5 this morning in Columbia, South Carolina. The more I think about this, Mike, and it's kind of a bold prediction, I think Tyler Buckner at Alabama and Carson Beck at Georgia could end up being at least two of the top three, if not the top two quarterbacks in the SEC this coming year. Nobody's really talking about either one, uh, but I'm telling you, I think people should do that at their own peril because doing some research on both these guys, and I know Buckner still has to win the job. I I think both aren't really getting a lot of credit. I mean, the, the fact Beck beat out, two five-star guys that that I think are really talented at Georgia, and he's got receivers, and he throws the ball well, and he's got an offensive coordinator that's quarterback-friendly. Uh, and then Buckner, to me, he has to cut down on his mistakes, but I, I watched him play as much as he played last year because of, of Notre Dame, and, and Notre Dame played South Carolina in the bowl. The kid's a playmaker, and he can make plays with his legs and his arm has to cut down on the errors, but, you know, I think Alabama can coach that out of him. You know, your thoughts about these two, I, th- I think they're almost sleepers when you're talking about top quarterbacks in the SEC because there's so many good ones. Number one, I'm not surprised at all that Nick Saban felt the need to go into the portal. Uh, I had an Alabama game late November, and the my analyst is a, a former SEC coordinator, 
and he was like, Mike, let's go to practice, which I don't always do for football because I mean, we have so we have all these meetings and we already watch film and sometimes it feels like overkill. But I wasn't going to miss a two plus hour practice that uh, Nick Saban was running inside their, you know, their bubble over there in Tuscaloosa. And Bryce Young, I already loved going in, but just watching him, everything was just like, man, this guy is just next level good. And there's no mystery. He was the number one pick in the draft. But then I watched the other guys and I was like, mm, I don't know if I'm seeing it. And maybe I, and then I started asking people around the program, like, are they just having a bad day or am I just, am I missing something? And it was just kind of like, no, that kind of is what it is. And I was like, I, I, I didn't see somebody who really was going to be able to produce the level that they've had. Because you think about it, from Hertz to Tua to Young, I mean, and then uh, to Mac, Mac Jones, they have had ridiculous productivity out of the quarterback spot. They're loaded everywhere else. We already know that. But you still have to have a good quarterback if you're going to win in college football. So – I, I would not be surprised if Buckner wins the job for, for those reasons. And you're right. He de- definitely made some plays at Notre Dame. Um, he's going to have more talent at Alabama than he had at Notre Dame. Carson Beck has been, I mean, of course, I'm in Atlanta. So Carson Beck is a major storyline here. Um, and we'll talk with Aaron Murray about him. I know that, you know, the Heisman Trophy odds, I believe he's third in the SEC. Uh, in that category, because we know the Heisman Trophy is almost always a quarterback. The Heisman Trophy is almost always a quarterback on a winning team. So, therefore, if you're the quarterback of Georgia, you're going to have some odds t- to win it. But you're dealing with the unknown. You know, I've, I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The only thing that can stop Georgia from winning a third title in a row is the quarterback play is not what everybody hoped and expected it would be. Because Stetson Bennett, for all the detractors, uh, for the most part, came up large in large games. And you don't know if Carson Beck's going to do that. Is he a better physical presence than Stetson Bennett? Of course he is. I don't even know if it's that close. But that doesn't mean uh, you're going to, you know, it's just like the Joe Milton factor at Tennessee. I know he can throw the ball farther than anybody on the planet or in college (laughs) football anyway, but that doesn't mean he's going to complete a key pass on third down and seven. Uh, against Georgia, you know, like you're, you're not going to throw the ball 80 yards very often. In fact, he might do it twice all year. So um, I'm with you. I mean, I think both guys are poised to have big years. Uh, the question is, it's going to come down just like last year for Alabama. I mean, they were like four points away from playing for a national championship, but they lost two games by a combined four or five points and they didn't get to go. Will those two guys if again, if it is uh, for Alabama, you know it's going to. I, I shouldn't even say that. You think it's going to be those two guys. You think it's going to be Beckett, George. It's not a hundred percent, but um, if it's those two guys, they're going to they're going to be in spots and key games. Do they come through or do they not? And if they don't, sometimes the the it's a paper thin margin of being a, a really good quarterback that had a really good year versus a guy that put up numbers but couldn't come through in the clutch. Switching to Big Ten territory up my way, uh, Pat Fitzgerald fired. Woo. Surprising. How much time do we have on this? Yeah, this is uh, this has got to go quickly here. But uh, just kind of my thought is that's uh, and he grew up near where I live in Orland Park. He kind of is Northwestern football. Um, 
I've read the allegations. I think some of them were a little thin. And I think when a person, the whistleblower or whatever, has an admitted agenda, you have to tread carefully. But um, the university president reversed course quickly. It looks like Pat's going to fight it. Uh, it's kind of a mess uh, for a program that really, you know, had a terrible season last year. Yeah. Uh, I think I told you this back in 2009. That was the first year I started doing games for ESPN. And one of my first games was the Land of Lincoln Trophy. What is that, you ask? I'm not sure the fans of the two schools know. The Land of Lincoln Trophy was one of those uh, more recent nicknames for a rivalry game. Northwestern Illinois, baby. Ron Zook was the coach at Illinois, fresh off a BCS Bowl appearance the year before. And uh, the one and only Pat Fitzgerald, who I remembered as a player on those those magical uh, Gary Barnett Northwestern teams was the coach. And I remember talking to him on our conference call. And I remember telling you like, this guy's a stud. He's going to like do great things. And he did. And there was a time he could have named his job. I mean, I thought, I thought Notre Dame was going to go after him years ago. Uh, but there are a number of programs that he, he could have taken jobs at so many different places. He chose to stay at his alma mater Obviously, they pay him very well. They've improved facilities. As you know, Chicago's a pretty cool city, and it's his alma mater. So it's, it seemed like the match made in, in, in heaven in so many ways. I don't know what to make of all this. It's going to be a whole lot of he said, she said. If if most of what is said is true, it's not surprising that he's going to be let go. We're, we're not in an era where hazing is cool. It's just not. It's not tolerated. It's not cool. I think one other uh, interesting thing I'll just add uh, on this story, because there's not a whole lot for us to for us to say, I don't think. Um, I think it's unfortunate because I think it was one of the better stories in college football. Yes, he's coming off an awful year, but th- they've had some really good ones. They've far exceeded. I mean, in so many ways, they're like the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten, but they had better results than Vanderbilt did. Or it'd be like James Franklin times, you know, three or whatever. This story was broken by a student newspaper. Now, Pete Thamel had the news, and we'll have Pete Thamel on this show uh, in a couple weeks. He broke the news that he was fired yesterday. That's the first place I saw it. Pete's as good as it gets at breaking news. But this story overall was broken by the student newspaper. Why is that significant? If you watch the SMU documentary, uh, The Death Penalty for the Pony Express, with Dickerson and Craig James and all that, the reason that story got the day of light, remember this was all pre-internet social media, was because SMU is located in a major media market in Dallas with a lot of probing reporters. Yes, Skip Bayless was one of them. Uh, and, uh, there's the one gentleman, uh, the newspaper guy you see all the time, is a really good reporter. They were not going to lose sight of this story, and they were not going to be a bunch of like country bumpkins in a small town, like, well, we got to look after, you know, the local university. We don't want to write something bad about the local university, even though we know there's some bad stuff going on. That happens. Smaller towns can cover up stories like this a lot better. And a lot of people have turned the other cheek when it comes to that. You're not doing that in Chicago. And Northwestern has a very good journalism school. And there's like three or four students that really kind of, shed light on this and that's what had everybody else nationally 
looking at it. So my point is, if Northwestern was in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, I don't know if this even comes out. It, it's that's where being in a major media market is not a good thing for your program because, let's face it, almost every big time college football program has a couple skeletons. Some are bigger than others, and, yeah, nor, and depending, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say depending on the size of the market, those can be uh, those can be exposed where others might just kind of be buried under the rug. And Northwestern has a great journalism school. They they do. They are probably Northwestern, Missouri. Uh, if you if private schools, Northwestern, probably public school is Missouri. There's a lot of really good ones out there. But yep. yeah, and uh, kudos to those guys for breaking the most significant uh, piece of news at Northwestern since our friend Gary Barnett took them to the Rose Bowl in 1994. Uh, speaking of the land of Lincoln Trophy, Pat Fitzgerald, ten out of thirteen before losing the last two against the University of Illinois. Illinois won two in a row. My guy, Brett Belima. Um, So I'm looking at the at the landscape of the Big Ten, and the divisions are going away, and SC and UCLA are coming in, and all that good stuff. But there's Big Ten schools out there that historically in the recent past have done more with less. Uh, and I'm looking at Iowa. I'm looking at you, Iowa. I'm looking at you, Wisconsin. And I'm looking at you, Michigan State. And I'm looking at and I'm seeing what Brett's doing at Illinois. And they were really good last year. They 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 screwed around and lost a couple of games. Otherwise, they would have won the division and played Ohio State with that defense and that run game. Uh, I'm sorry, not played Ohio State, played Michigan, a team that they had on the ropes in Ann Arbor with the defensive run game the Illini had in Indianapolis. Um, so they were close and had a really good year, uh, I thought. So you look at Iowa, and they, Kirk Ferentz kept his son. They've got some mandates, you know, whatever. That's a program probably that you wouldn't say is on the rise anymore. Uh, will they stay the same? Wisconsin's in transition going from uh, the Barry Alvarez tree, which included Brett Bielema, uh, to Luke Fickle now, who's running a spread offense, who's who's getting away from the DNA that, that's made that program a winner. And you look at Michigan State, which called, you know, Mark D'Antonio's not walking through that door. They kind of caught lightning in a bottle with the transfer portal the one year, and it kind of bit them last year. Uh, and those are the schools in the in the Big Ten outside of Northwestern that I feel have always done, you know, more with less consistency. Yes, Minnesota's come on lately. Uh, yes, Purdue under Brom. Uh, yes, Indiana the one year. But, but these are the schools that I look at, and I'm like, they are consistent as heck. They're almost always in Florida in a bowl game, Outback or whatever, every year. Um, they're, they're winning eight, nine games. Does Illinois have a shot to ascend? Because uh, keep in mind, these schools also are all in the same area and recruit a lot of the same kids. Do they have a shot to ascend and maybe become like a Wisconsin, like a uh, like a uh, you know a, an Iowa, like like a school like that? Um, you know, because it, it's Illinois has historically been good way back in the way back. Yeah, it's in a good state. I think they got a good coach now. They got good facilities, but it just hasn't seemed to come together. Is this the opportunity for them to get up there in that, you know, hard nosed, overachieving uh, part of the Big Ten that we all know and love? Uh, in interest of time, I'll keep it really short. If you if you go to their stadium in Champaign Urbana. It's not that far from from Chicago. Uh, they've got 
statues of like Red Grange and Dick Butkus outside. I mean, you you just soak in the tradition just being there. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. Jeff George was quarterback. Simeon Rice and Kevin Hardy were like top two picks in the NFL draft from the defensive side. You know, I mentioned Ron Zook had the was it a Fiesta Bowl or Orange Bowl? It might have been the Orange Bowl. Rose Bowl. He had a- Rose Bowl. Oh, it was the Rose. That's yeah, funny. yeah. They snuck in because I think a was that was that one of the years Southern Cal went to play for or I'm sorry, not Southern Cal, Ohio State went. Yeah, it was I think it was 07. Yes. Or or, 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 or 08. 07, Ohio State played LSU for the national championship. And, okay. and Illinois at nine. So and they three. yeah, I don't yeah, want to say they got, got through the, the back door. They they won a lot of games. They had success. But anyway. So they've had, tr- yeah. I, I, I mean, look, I'd love to see it. I don't. I, I just think that, I think they can be in that tier two, which I think is what your point is. That, mm-hmm. that, that, that tier two is not a bad place to be. It's served Iowa and Wisconsin well for years. Um, there's no reason why they they couldn't sneak up there, but, um, but I do think that the the gap between Ohio State, Michigan is. I mean, it's a chasm. In terms of where they are compared to everybody else, but yeah, it'd be nice to see Illinois be relevant again. And there's no reason why they can't be. All right, we've we've got to uh, cut that short. Take a quick timeout. Aaron Murray will join us on the other side. JC and Morgan. Mike here for Elite Roofing and Restoration. Chances are you're a homeowner. You're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point. Could be because of wind or hail damage. Could be because it's just that time the roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances. Go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials and colors to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off, you can go to the website, EliteRoofingGA.com. That's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form, get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration. Don't settle for second best. Hey, folks, want to tell you about our friends at Titan Construction Group really quick. They're a mid-Atlantic-based general contractor, specializes in retail, restaurant, and office construction. TCG strives to separate itself from other general contractors by adding value every step of the process. From project budgeting to estimation, value engineering to construction, they focus on those relationships and not the transaction. Titan builds partnerships one project at a time. Among their clients are Starbucks, Crumble Cookie, uh, Blake Pizza, Home Goods, 15 plus years experience based in Midlothian, Virginia, and contracted in Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So get on their website, TitanCGInc.com. That's TitanCGInc.com. Get in touch with Brad if you're in need of a general contractor that focuses on going above and beyond for their clients. That's Titan Construction Group, a proud sponsor of the JC and Morgan podcast. All right, welcome back, JC and Morgan. Uh, we've been talking this offseason. We've had a heck of a a guest list that has featured a lot of quarterbacks, kind of our quarterback derby. You know, in, in addition to like Andre Ware, who won a Heisman, and Ryan Leaf, who was runner-up and second uh, pick in the draft, uh, these are just the SEC guys we've had. So Shane Matthews, two-time SEC Player of the Year, Tim Couch, SEC Player of the Year, Greg McElroy, National Championship, uh, and our next guest is still, for the time being, 
and he's uh, secretly got a voodoo doll under on Will Rogers. He's for the time being the number one passing leader of all time, thirteen thousand plus yards, a magnificent four year career at the University of Georgia, uh, and, and a guy now who's using his chops on the broadcasting broadcasting end does a great job with ESPN and, and other folks. Will tell you about. Later on, he is uh, Aaron Murray, who joins us now. Aaron, good to have you. I, you and I have worked together on SiriusXM, and we've kind of uh, we've worked together on a couple of ESPN games. We've never had you on this show, which is a crime in itself. But because you're doing 27 different shows, I, I felt guilty even asking you to carve out time. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We should have done the show at, uh, at, our, at our Fetch Park. Could have had a couple of drinks, I sat know. down with the dogs running around. Uh, That's right. Sponsored by Fetch would have been a good one, but... Uh, back to the voodoo doll. Yeah, listen, I, I hope I hope my boy Will Rogers has a great year this year, throws about 30 touchdowns, and then decides to leave so that yeah. some of my <laughs> records are safe. <laughs> I know you're kidding, and you're actually uh, – I, I, No, heard I'm you. dead ass serious. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I need him to throw 30 touchdowns. And then leave for the Please. NFL. Leave Go for away. the NFL. Finish with 13,165 yards. Yeah. And then you'd still be number one all time. Well, listen, I still got the touchdown. Not to toot my own horn. I, I have the most touchdowns in SEC history. So yes, um, he's coming down on that. He's about thirty high thirties away. I think thirty eight, thirty nine. I act like I don't know. I do know. He's thirty eight touchdowns away from breaking my record. So um, that's that's the one that I I really want to keep. I don't think he's. I don't think he's getting that with Zach Arnett. I, I don't think that offense is going to yeah, be quite have the same. Two, the problem is he could have two years because of the COVID year. So yeah, yeah, I didn't two. think about that. God, I mean, nonsense. but yeah, and that's one of those two where it's like, is he good enough to be in the NFL? Does he have the Does he have the skill set? I mean, you know, as a guy who was a great college player, but NFL scouts weren't drooling over Aaron Murray. You got picked. You had a career. You played pro ball, which is great. Very few people do. Um, back then, I think there's a, there's like there's a timing to it too. Like he's, I think. From talking with some people, there's also a sense of like, man, I've been here forever. Maybe it's just like time for me to move on. Yeah. Whether that is to take a shot at the NFL, you know, you have these other leagues, whether it's the XFL, the um, uh, the, the other one who went on, like, it's just a natural progression. Like, I've kind of stayed past my 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 uh, my welcome almost kind of yeah. sense. So I think yeah. that's going to be more the thing for him. Of yeah, I don't think he's a first round, second round, third round pick. You know, he's an efficient quarterback. He's smart. He has good size. I think this year with the offense that he's going to be in is going to show NFL scouts that he can handle an NFL playbook. Um, doesn't have elite arm strength. I think has good arm strength. I think he's a guy that could get drafted late in the NFL draft. I think he's someone that could get drafted somewhere fifth to seventh round. Um, mm-hmm. Got good size. Uh, so I, I think if he has a great year this year with the new offense, I think he would probably take a take a chance and, and, and just move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to get into a number of things with you. First off, one thing we always do with JC, kind of uh, going back to his recruiting days on a national basis. So, JC, you covered the recruiting of one Aaron Murray. Yeah. I, all, all I remember about that is five-star, can't-miss guy. But you have a little more detail. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, you know, you looked at him in, in camps and stuff. And like I said, I knew his coach, and uh, I think a lot of us did. I was with ESPN at the time, so Tom Luganville actually was the one, according to, like, where I was, because I was in between rivals and 24-7. So Tom did the rankings, so credit Tom with that. But, yeah, it, it just a, 
delivered a great ball. I knew he was well coached. Of course, his offer list was great. Um, a lot of good quarterbacks in that class, too. It's interesting. Georgia yeah. actually took two quarterbacks in that class. You and Zach, mm-hmm. Zach Beckenberger, uh, two five-stars, I guess. Garrett Gilbert was in that class. Um, we all remember him from going into the, uh, uh, I guess the national championship game against Bama as a true freshman. And he resurfaced with coach Spurrier with the Orlando, uh, was it the guardian breakers? What were the Orlando team? What Orlando was called. Yeah. We had Matt Barkley. Gino Smith was in that class too. Uh, AJ McCarron was in the class. AJ McCarron. Derek class. Derek Carr was in the class. Oh, yeah, Derek was in that car. Derek that Carr time. was in that class. Yeah. Taj Boyd from Clemson, who went to Clemson. Um, Great college the, quarterback. Yeah. Uh, the number one guy, uh, the dual threat, I think I think Aaron was a dual threat. We used to classify him like that, was Russell Shepard, who went to LSU okay. and never yep. they never really could find a spot for him. But mm-hmm. Aaron, like of all these guys, you know, I think, you know, from start to finish, Aaron had a tr- probably the best college career out of all of them, as is evidenced by his record. But uh, it I did would that. take Derek's NFL career or Geno's NFL career if I could. Yeah. AJ McCarron's got a pretty good college career, too, with, with a couple of natties. So I, I think I would take that one over mine as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, we talked about this. When we had Greg McElroy on. I mean, they were they were doing it a different way. So you weren't going to put yeah. up those kind of numbers. You weren't putting up Aaron no. Murray numbers in the Alabama offense back then. It's changed. Well, well, it's not like our offense was, you know, the offenses of today, though. Either. No, I mean, no. We, especially my first two years at Georgia, we were very much we were similar to those offenses. Right. Um, we just we had to score more points. We had to throw the ball a little bit more than say in Alabama, just because you know we weren't giving up ten points per game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we weren't kind of in 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 you know third fourth quarter uh, sense of just let's just run the clock out kind of mode. It was hey we got to push the tempo a little bit more and still throw the football. But it's not like we were eleven personnel throwing it forty fifty times a game. We were no, still no. Like I said fresh sophomore year, probably throwing it mid to upper twenties per game. Mm-hmm. Um, had some great talented receivers, which obviously helped. You know, freshman year, you know, throwing AJ AJ Green was always nice. And then yeah. Tavares and Malcolm and Orson and Michael Bennett and 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 Marlon Brown. So um yeah, we evolved. I would say we evolved offensively a little bit more up tempo, a little bit more um different personnel groups, eleven, a little bit of ten. I would say junior senior year kind of kind of opened mm-hmm. up the offense. I think about this is one of the things, and I've been in Atlanta now for 12 years, and even before that, I, I remember going to SEC Media Days, and back then you could interview coaches right there on Radio Row. One of my favorite people to interview is Mark Rick. Mark would always give us time, and this is before I was even at a, at a Georgia station, and uh, Mark is, is played quarterback at my hometown uh, down in South Florida. In fact, I missed – he was almost my offensive coordinator – uh he was there one year at my high school got fired that was right after he got cut by the dolphins and um i think i think my high school that year was like uh one in nine <laughs> he's like mike i deserve to be fired obviously it worked out to be uh it worked out very well for mark rick he went to florida state and and then gets the georgia job and i i, I think about the mark rick legacy because mark rick did a lot of good things at georgia man i, I you know this, and I want you to expand on this. He's going to get lost, fairly or unfairly, on the national scope. 
he's going to get lost as a guy that really helped turn Georgia around uh, because Kirby has taken it obviously to another level. But but just talk about your impressions of playing for Mark Richt and what he meant to you and what he meant to Georgia football. I, I, I think history should be kinder to Mark Richt than, than maybe it is. Well, I think it is kind. I think, especially in the state of Georgia, people love Coach Rick. I think they mm-hmm. love him for what he stood for, the man he was, the way he um, treated his players, his coaches, the way he engaged in the in the community, and, and all that he gave back. So, I don't think that there's anyone kind of saying, you know, obviously, oh, that Mark Rick era sucked. Like everyone enjoyed it. I mean, from the 2002 team that was you know good enough to win a championship, uh, the 2007 team. Obviously, we had a couple of runs during my time. Um, I mean, it was it was. I think people look back at the Coach Rick era and say, "Man, he was just so close." Mm-hmm. But say, and 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 I would say more in a positive way of uh, of of it like that. Of you know, there's always going to be the haters that say, "Oh, he couldn't win the big one. He couldn't be." The, I mean, I, I get the same thing about me. Oh, Aaron was great, but couldn't win the big one. Mark was a great coach, but couldn't win the big one. It ain't easy to win a national championship if we've seen. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of teams that have won a national championship over the past two decades. So I think people will will remember him in, in, in a very positive light. Um, but yeah, you I, I agree. I mean, Kirby has taken it to another level. I mean, Kirby is 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 you know the, the best coach in America right now. Um, obviously he got Georgia that that national championship, which everyone has been been wanting for 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 you know since 1980. But I don't know, man. Everyone I've talked to, like you just talked about it right now, everyone that I've talked to about Georgia football, a lot of people ask me about Coach Rick. They want to know, they want to know, you know, was he as authentic of a human being behind the scenes as he was for for us in the media or what we saw on the sidelines? So I don't know. I, I always get a lot of questions about him, which which to me makes it seem like you know, even more that people appreciate everything he did, you know, for the university. That, that's, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of where I was going with that because I mean, the winning percentage speaks for itself. The guy won a bunch and he did take Georgia clearly to another level with all due respect to uh, his predecessors. Um, and and I remember when the news came down that he was fired, I didn't know how to feel about that. Like I kind of understood it, but then I was like, that almost seems unfair. I'm curious what, what your thoughts were when that happened. I listen, I, I, I obviously I was a little upset, but I also understood. I think it was good for everyone. I think it was good for him. I think it was good for the university. You know, it, 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 it at times it runs its course, you know, kind of like I talked about with Will Rogers earlier with him being at Mississippi state with, you know, with this extra COVID year at times, it kind of feels like, all right, man, like you've been here, you've had your opportunity. It's kind of time to move on and let the next person in. It's funny. I was, um, I was on a flight my senior year and I was sitting, it was coming back from spring break and there's a couple of Ohio state fans sitting next to me. And I think it was JT Barrett was the quarterback at the time. And, and they were talking about how I was like, yeah, we love him, but he's been here for four years or three years and started. It's kind of feel like, and they kind of finished like, we wish he would just kind of move on and let the mm-hmm. next guy come in. And I'm, Here's a three-year starter about to head in my fourth year. Like maybe I should keep my mouth shut about it. Um, but there is there is a a sense of okay, it's almost run its course a little bit. I think for Coach Rick to be the head coach of an SEC school for that long, to have that much success, to deal with that much stress, I think for him personally, I don't I don't think he would ever say this, but I think for him personally, it might have been good for him just to kind of 
step back, have that break before then. Obviously, he went on to University of Miami to coach for for those couple of years. And obviously for the University of Georgia, it's been an absolute home run hire, bringing in Kirby Smart to kind of, like I said, take Georgia to the next level. Kirby inherited a really good program, a winning program, a program that is recruited high, a program that has won SEC championships. Um, and then, like I said, kind of put the cherry on top and then took them to the national championship stage. So um, I think it all worked out perfectly for everyone. I think it worked out well for Coach Rick. Uh, I think it worked out well for, for obviously university and it worked out extremely well for Kirby smart. It's a great way of looking at it. I'm not saying Kirby wouldn't have been outstanding, even if Mark Rick didn't do a great job, but that to, to, to win as quickly as Kirby did Mark Rick's a big reason why, like that was not a, that was not a rebuild. I think think everyone realizes that too in the state. I think people know how good Kirby is and could he have gone there without him inheriting this, the, the football team he did Probably because Georgia, I think, has been, you know, I think Georgia is one of the premier places in America. I'm, I'm probably a little bit biased, but it has everything you want mm-hmm. from from education, top top three education in the SEC. You're in the SEC, incredible campus, great uh, nightlife, proximity to Atlanta. You own the state of Georgia when it comes to recruiting. Um, it checks off every major box that that a, that a coach needs to have success. So. Could he have gone there without the help of Mark Rick or what he left him? Probably. I don't know it would have happened as soon as it's happened if, if Coach Rick didn't leave the program where he left it. One more question down memory lane. JC and I have talked about this game a number of times on this podcast because we were both there in person covering it for, for different folks. The 2012 SEC Championship game. You want to talk about a game that could have changed the direction of Mark Rick forever? Could have changed yeah. the memories of... Aaron Murray forever. Uh, how often do you replay from the eight-yard line in your mind against Alabama? I don't know if it's 32-28, something like that. Anyway, if that pass is complete, you go on. I, you win the national championship. You beat Notre oh, Dame. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. You're that close. It was one of the most well-played games I've ever seen. The environment back then, it was the Georgia Dome. Uh, could not have been any better. And both teams and all the players going at an elite level. There's so much NFL talent on the field, and you're that close. How often does that play come into your mind uh, 10 years or so later? Uh, a lot more bef- than, than uh, you know, three, I guess, two years ago, um, because people obviously talked about that game a ton because Georgia had it won a national championship. I think now, you know, Beating Alabama, getting that monkey off their back or our back, and then and then winning a national championship, you know, people you know stop going down the the negative memory lane as much and and focus more on the the positives. But yeah, it, it's hard for me to you know to go to a Georgia game or be in Athens or even and even around Atlanta without someone mentioning that game, without someone mentioning uh, the game versus Auburn. Uh, luckily for me, we did have that great game versus LSU my senior year. So people like to talk about that once. So I do get to talk a little bit about an actual win instead of two losses during my career that uh, that will forever haunt me. But yeah, listen, you know, we win that game. Kirby Smart probably is never going to be the head coach of Georgia because I think you know at that point, um, Coach Rick, who we just talked about, probably dictates a little bit more of when his career is going to end at Georgia instead of the way it ended when it did in, in 15, 16. So, um, you know, I think that obviously changes everything for everyone of, of, of 
where Georgia would be right now if we had won back in 2012. So, yeah, to 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 to, to be that close to then witness Alabama just thrash Notre Dame in the national championship, you're like, damn, man, like we were we were four yards and a tip ball away from winning and winning an SEC and going on to win a national championship, which would have been the first time since 1980. So, um. Yeah, it, it still haunts me a little bit. I replay that on my mind of like, what could we have done a little bit different in those last fifteen seconds to to you know maybe give ourselves a better opportunity to get two, three opportunities to to throw the ball in the end zone to to possibly get a touchdown to win the whole thing. You wouldn't be human if you didn't think about that play. I appreciate oh, the yeah. candor on that. You wouldn't be human yeah. if you didn't think about that. that, that it's a compliment best. that you were that close. I mean, it really is yeah. when you think about at, it. At the time, that was the best game I've ever seen in person, and then. I saw the 2017 national championship game in person between yeah. Alabama and Georgia. And then that became the best game I've ever seen in person. So uh, that was a tough one. The offensive coordinator on that team uh, is the offensive coordinator for Georgia this year. A guy I've got a ton of respect for. Uh, and I know mm-hmm. you played for, for four years, Mike Bobo. I thought Todd Mockin was in a zone calling plays. I'll be honest. The last two years, like a, like a Sarkeesian at Bama or a Joe Brady, Insminger level zone. Um, it's different than what they do, but it's still, I mean, God, the guy just all the right moves. Yeah. But I got a lot of faith in Mike Bobo. And so I'm going to ask you, what, what are your thoughts about uh, him stepping right in um, and uh, calling, the, calling the ball plays again for the dogs? Yeah, I mean, listen, you, you hit on it with Munkett. I mean, he was in such a zone where it just seemed like everything he called – he was always one, two, three, you know, uh, paces ahead of the defensive coordinator and guys were just running Scott wide open. So um, it, it was awesome to kind of witness what, what he's been able to do. And I think it was smart by, by Kirby. I mean, he knew Munkin Munkin's an NFL guy. Like, let's just be honest. Munkin was an NFL guy. And at some point he was going to take his opportunity to get back to the league. And I can't blame him. I mean, if I'm a coach nowadays, I would much rather be in the NFL then coaching college football with with all the craziness and the new rules and the recruiting and and all that goes into being a, being a coach at that level. So, um, I think Kirby was was himself playing a couple paces ahead when it comes to bringing Bobo in last year to kind of sit behind Munkin, learn the offense, observe it, and then whether Munkin would leave after you know this past season or would say another year. Bobo would be ready to kind of step in and fill those shoes. So I think that was the natural progression. I think it was smart by Kirby to do that. And listen, Bobo, I know he gets a lot of flack from, from certain groups here in the state of Georgia. We do. We were always one of the best offenses in, 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 in college football. When I was at Georgia, we were one of the best offenses in the sec. It wasn't the offense and not the hate on our defense or anything like that, but like we were scoring 35 to 40 points per game. You know, we didn't have a defense that Georgia has right now that's given up 10 to 15 points per game. That's that's the difference. So now Bobo has a defense that's going to be one of the best defenses in the country where, you know, he doesn't have to score 40 points per game. And I think he has some of the best skill he's ever had at the University of Georgia and that he's had over the past, I don't know, seven, eight years since he's left that job uh, as the OC of University of Georgia back in 14. So um, I think he's positioned to have a monster year calling plays. And I think he has a chip on his shoulder where he's going to push the envelope. You know, that's why I'm so bullish on Carson to have such a big year this year at the quarterback spot is you got weapons, you got Brock, you got McConkey, you got Raw Raw, you got Lovett, you got Arian Smith, you got other great tight ends, you got one of the best offensive lines in America, you got a great stable of running backs in the backfield, and then you have a coordinator 
who wants to prove to everyone how good of a play caller he is. I think that's a recipe for Carson to go out there and throw 35 to 45 touchdowns and have a monster season for, for, for the Georgia offense. Here's some scoop for all you Bobo haters, by the way. Here's a little scoop. Okay. At South Carolina, the one year he was there, he had one receiver and a quarterback that had cement shoes because his other quarterback went, and it was the pandemic year and they got fired anyway. Okay. At Auburn, do some digging. That wasn't necessarily his offense, and those weren't all no. his play calls. So th- no. those those of you out there in Dogland that, that want a little inside scoop on those two situations, don't yep. don't look at those two situations. I, I thought he was the harsh and the harsh situation really was rough. Yeah. yeah, South Carolina they didn't have a quarterback. Yeah, I um, thought he did a great job. And then Auburn, South Auburn just moving the ball. Yeah, Auburn was the best I've seen Bo Nix play during during his time at Auburn. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they had no receivers. They fired the receiver coach middle of the season. They had no running game. Um, they just didn't have a lot of talent around to to, yeah. to do anything. And then, like you said, I mean, Harson is. You know, there's a reason why Harson got fired after a year and a half. He's a little bit of a control freak, mm-hmm. and it was not a, a. It's 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 a bad sign when you lose your OC and then your DC decides to leave and take a pay cut afterwards. too. that just tells you kind of the ship that all that that Harson was running at Auburn. Exactly. And the good thing too is, you know, Kirby, I think Kirby might have had a little bit of a rap on him early on, much like Nick Saban. And of course, we know it's in a lot of ways, it's everything you're seeing at Georgia is Saban, Alabama, a few years ago, 2.0, which is a compliment because that's what you want to be. You want to have the dominance that Alabama did. Uh, but but the knock on Saban for a while was that he micromanages uh, the offense. Like you might be able to call plays as a coordinator, but you're going to do so within the context of what he wants, which was a little more conservative, which was a little less open. Uh, play smart, don't turn it over, let the defense win. I think that was what a lot of people viewed Kirby as for a while, but I think that's changed. I, I think I think Kirby is is puts a little more faith in his OC. Do you agree with that? I do. I think. I think, especially the offensive side of the football. I think, you know, obviously, with Munkin, you, 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 you know, Munkin came in with with his pedigree, and, and you're going to give him everything. You're going to say, "Hey, listen, you you run that side of the football. I'll focus on helping the defensive side of the football." Obviously, now you have two incredible coordinators on the defense side of the football, where you don't have to do as much. And then you you have Bobo once again. You brought Bobo in for a year to kind of groom him to get ready to take over the position this year. And I just think that right now for, for head coaches, I mean, there, there's too, there, the responsibilities are too much. This goes back to why I talked about with, with, you know, why I, I don't blame Munkin for going to the NFL. Nowadays it is hard. It's getting harder and harder to be a, a head coach and an OC, a head coach and a DC. You just got too much on your plate um, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to, NIL, when it comes to fundraising, um, dealing with the transfer portal, there's just way too many things. And an interesting story, I talked to Coach Rick about two months ago on one of my shows, and you know, I asked him, like, you know, why did you give up the play calling duty? Because I didn't realize that he was still calling plays even when Dave Green was going and really didn't give it up until Shock took over. And he said, well, he said, the reason I had to is because of all those responsibilities I have, which is less than what coaches have nowadays, I couldn't keep up with the trends of college football. Like I needed someone that could focus just on offense and do research in the offseason of figuring out what what offenses are doing, how can we expand our offense, how can we make our offense better? And he's like, I didn't have the time to do that. I had to give the play calling duty up 
so we could evolve as an offense. And 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 nowadays, like I said, man, the best coaches are going to be more of that CEO role. Um, this is why I have faith that like a guy like Dion at Colorado is going to have so much success because he is the ultimate CEO. Where if you bring in good coordinators around him, he can just let those guys do what they need to do. So yeah, I think I think Kirby's definitely very much involved. Obviously, a little bit more involved on the defensive side, but he's doing a great job of of bringing in great supporting staff and kind of letting those guys run with it. Yeah, I think I, and that's obviously been a a, a winning formula. Um, you know how it is. The, the the moment Georgia has a bad day, I mean, Mike Bobo is going to take a lot of heat. And he took it oh, the yeah. first time around. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. But Mike's got broad shoulders. He he knows the deal. He knows what he's walking into. Um, I want to wrap up with some big picture stuff. You know, last year there were a lot of proven commodities at the quarterback spot in the SEC. Like we kind of knew what we were looking at. This year, there's a whole lot of huh. Um, you and I had the LSU spring game back in April and Jaden Daniels, who's bigger, stronger, more confident. I mean, he looks terrific. Like that is, I feel safe betting on Jaden Daniels, right? Uh, we know what KJ Jefferson is at Arkansas, pretty proven commodity. We talked about Will Rogers earlier, but then you think about it, like there is a whole lot of, I'm not sure. There's a whole lot of, I'm not sure with. Joe Milton, yeah, I know he can throw the ball 80 yards. I don't know how he's going to be in, in, in terms of accuracy and coming through uh, and overcoming some of the weaknesses of the past. Carson Beck, you mentioned it. He could have a terrific year. You can bet on Carson Beck to win the Heisman Trophy right now. Like It's not terrible odds, uh, but he still hasn't done it. You know, you, you look at Devin Leary did it in a different league. Is it going to be Wigman at A&M, Jackson Dart, uh, you know, Alabama, we were talking before you came on about their quarterback situation, Auburn, Noah, Graham Mertz at Florida. Florida's rough. My point, yeah, I mean, what are we looking at? There's there's definitely some question marks at the quarterback spots for universities, but I think there's there's elite talent at those spots where Mm – I think they're they're set up for success. Joe Milton, I mean, he he be talking with the staff last year, covering their game a couple times, and and seeing what he looked like. Obviously, mock up mop up mop up duty, but then seeing what he looked like versus Clemson. Man, I'm 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 confident that he's ready to take a massive step in the right You're direction bullish. this year with that offense. I think Carson. I'm I'm probably just too close to it, but I think Carson is extremely gifted with with all the things I talked about earlier. I think he's due for a monster season. I think Jackson Dart is going to be the guy at Ole Miss, and I think he's. He's due for a pretty big step from year one to year two. Let's not forget. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the starter last year. You know, they were in a, a two quarterback battle where he didn't even start to the third game of the season, and then and then kind of took over. And I thought he has a lot of tools that fit perfectly with what um, what Lane wants to do offensively. And and we heard nothing but rave reviews from from how Jackson Dart really you know everything he needed to work on. He did that this offseason and took his game to another level. So. I think with him and Juckins in the backfield and their weapons, he's due for a big year. I love Connor Wegman. Um, kind of gives me gets me excited about what AM could be this year because they got plenty of talent around him with Anias and some of those other receivers, a great offensive line, a very good defense. I think Connor could have a great year. I think the ones that that you know, the the two schools that concern me are Auburn and Florida. Mm. Um, Missouri a little bit has some questions at quarterback, but um, I just, if I'm Auburn and I'm Florida right now, I don't feel good about that position heading into the season, but everyone else, I'm kind of like, okay, we either got a, a starter returning uh, that I know is pretty good or a guy that's been in the, you know, kind of waiting his turn in the wing that we've seen enough from 
and we have talent around him where we think he can come out there and make a, a, a pretty big splash in his first season. Spencer Rattler, another guy that you would yep. think is poised for a really good year. Yep. Based on the finish of, of, of oh, yeah. last year and a proven commodity now in the SEC. Even, even, even Vanderbilt has a good quarterback coming back for, for this year, which you know, should get Commodore fans excited with their opportunity to, you know, between the first four games of the season, take advantage of the schedule and then have an opportunity to possibly go bowling. So I like I think that it's a kid, good, I think it's a good group of quarterbacks. Yeah, AJ I like Swan. I think Swan it's a, a good lot. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a really good year of quarterbacks. I just think it's guys that maybe haven't played enough. So for the untrained quarterback eye, aren't necessarily sold on them yet until they kind of see them in, in a little bit more action. Yeah, there's a lot of show me out there. Uh, last question. Georgia falls short of a three-peat if... Uh, they fall short of a three-peat if, uh, man, if it's just the injury bug. I think that's that's elite teams, man. They're better than everyone else. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, they got so much returning talent, especially on defense. Um, they got the returning talent on offense. It's it's a complete football team. That's it's hard to poke holes on this team right now. Maybe you need some more pass rushers on the defensive line, but I think they'll be fine there. But you get the linebackers. I think secondary could be the best secondary they've had, and which is saying something uh, with what they have returning on that side of the football. So it's a scary team, man. They got obviously we've we everyone's known they've they've touched on this. It's a it's a pretty lax schedule this year. So they just got to stay healthy. They got to stay healthy, and and they'll be right in that conversation that one of those final four teams at the end of it. Can't wait to see Georgia Tennessee. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot. If Joe Milton actually becomes the real deal. Like that's that's going to be a lot of fun for sure. Uh, Aaron, you are the real deal. Uh, again, I can't plug everything that you're doing because you're the hardest working man in showbiz, but you'll be back with ESPN. Look forward to that. Uh, it was a pleasure to work with you. You do great work as an analyst, as people already know. But tell the folks out there some of the other places they can catch you. Yeah, so got a daily show on SiriusXM on the SEC channel, so check that out. Mike and I have worked together on that one. I have a daily podcast through Colin Coward's a podcasting company called The Volume. Uh, our show is called Snaps. It's with myself and T-Bob, uh, who is a oh, hell of a personality. Yes, he uh, is. One of the best out there. So we do a daily show, so make sure you check that out uh, on YouTube. Um, it's called Snaps, once again. Uh, and then uh, also I'm the president of The Players Lounge, which is a uh, a media company that is is there to help assist players create content. So right now we have um, shows for the University of Georgia. I have a couple of great player shows. Uh, and also are expanding to both Tennessee and Clemson here in the next month. So make sure you go check that out as well. And you'll be filling in for Jimmy Fallon next week on the Tonight and, Show. No, no, no. It's just and, and have two kids under the age of three. Yes. Uh, and two wow. Three needy dogs. So <laughs> yes. Be very, very busy. Yeah. You are you are getting it done, my man. Uh, at an early age. Uh, good for you. Again, always a pleasure. Love your insight. Uh, I think it's uh, you're one of the best. There's a lot of former players that were great but aren't necessarily great to get insight from. Um, it just, it is what it is. Uh, I think you have a knack for it and really appreciate you taking out the time. I know uh, SEC fans do and Georgia fans as well, and hopefully we'll do it again. Appreciate you guys for having me. You got right. it. Thank you. Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Be good, bud. All right. Thanks again to uh, Aaron Murray. Glad we uh, had him join our quarterback derby, which is a distinguished, distinguished group. I mean, we ought to like provide smokers, jackets and uh, cigars for these guys uh, and, and the best bottles of uh, a bourbon. Uh, hope you folks enjoyed that. We'll take a quick time out here. We'll come back. We've got a number of people who have uh, 
<clears throat> chimed in on the mailbag, which is on the website, jcandmorgan.com. The mailbag presented by Synergy Sports. We'll uh, take a deep dive into that and also have our five and dime segment as well. More JC and Morgan coming up. Quick break. Hey, this is Mike Morgan, and like many of you, I love staying active. It makes me feel better. It helps me enjoy a better life. But whether you're a world-class athlete or someone just keeping the dream alive like me, you'll want to make sure you have someone who can handle the injuries that are going to arise. That's where the world-renowned Dr. Michael Hatrack of Synergy Sports Wellness and Synergy Release Sports come into play. He's been my guy for nearly a decade, and he has served thousands of people, including over 400 NFL players, over a career that spans 47 years. Yeah, he's that good. And his staff's personalized biomechanical treatments and therapies can handle it all. Back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. We all know the injuries, but few know the solutions the way Dr. Hatrack and his terrifically trained staff do. I've seen others. No one delivers the results the way they do. That's why people from all over the country come to Synergy's two Georgia locations, Buckhead and Alpharetta. Dr. Hatrack has trained a team of chiropractors in his proprietary technique, that has been proven to yield life-changing outcomes from professional athletes to the Joe Schmoes of the world like, well, me. Check out the website to set up an appointment today, SynergyReleaseSports.com. That's Synergy with an S, ReleaseSports.com. You can also find a link for them on our website, JCandMorgan.com. Let the incredible staff at Synergy take care of you so you can reach your wellness goals. Our thanks again to uh, Aaron Murray, who was... uh, really good and and again i don't i don't say those things just because we have a guest on and they're i i think he's actually got a really good future in uh in our business he was buried on cbs sports network which i don't know if anybody watches and then he got to, the the weird the good the good thing about that gig was he got to do a few cbs double header games um so some people got to see him on those and then now he's um You'll see more of them in the coming years. I've worked with him a, a few times on ESPN, and uh, there's no question he's got a, a bright future. But, I mean, he was a very talented quarterback that had a marvelous career. We talked about a career leader in, in yards and uh, and passing touchdowns. Before George, any Georgia fans get on me, I, I, I know that technically that last play was closer than eight yards away from winning the game because the pass was tipped and caught, and it was tackled at about the three. I think Aaron said the four. The play started from the eight-yard line. And he fell. He fell. Yeah. I mean, Conley, Chris Conley. Mm, I mean, it looked to me a, like he fell. And Conley I'm, was a talented player. I mean, yeah, Conley was, was, was one of his top targets. I was in the opposite end zone looking at Aaron's back, you know, and, and I was hanging out with that Alabama fan. Right. Um, Ironically, same Alabama fan went with me to the championship game. Well, uh, the other Georgia, Georgia, Alabama game uh, that was great. But uh, so, so obviously, like there was a a, a nail death grip on my on my arm <laughs> when they were Georgia was driving because you know nobody really expected that game to even be close. Georgia, remember, got blown out uh, by LSU the year before. They they kind of had a favorable schedule where they, they did beat Florida, uh, Muschamp's best team. Uh, they got blown out by South Carolina that year in Columbia, 35 to seven. Uh, the boy that, uh, they, they, they had a 21 to 10 lead. I remember, cause I went, we're in the club seats. I went to get a drink and I remember looking and, and Todd Gurley scored on a little dive play or whatever, 21 to 10 and all the Alabama fans I was sitting around were worried. So that was, uh, it was, was amazing. 
It was a hell of a game. I I was there. Uh, no rooting interest was there covering it for the now defunct 790 The Zone in Atlanta. And I remember just thinking in the fourth quarter, like, and I'd been to some SEC championship games, um, maybe a handful covering it, uh, going back to my talk show days in my early 20s. That was as good as as any of them. And uh, it's it's not hyperbole to say, if that eight-yard play winds up turning into a touchdown, Mark Rick could have been at Georgia another another 10 years. He could still be there today. Like that changed the fate. Of, we've talked about this before. There are certain plays in college football that change the fate of lives and careers forever. And that's clearly one of them. That is absolutely uh, one of them that if, if that if that happens – I don't think Mark Richt is done winning one national title because now the momentum of that in recruiting and building up the defense, which was clearly um, the weaker of the two sides of the ball under Mark Richt. I mean, they always had ridiculously talented running backs and quarterbacks and wideouts and offensive linemen. Um, and of course, now it's such a well-oiled machine that they're just loaded everywhere. And Kirby found the secret sauce and he cracked the code. He got the monkey off the back. And once you win that first one, that's the hardest one. Now, now you sell recruits. Uh, hey, look, we we we've already proven we can do this. We're going to do it again. You want to be a part of it? It's like Barry Switzer used to say at Oklahoma: you can come here in Norman and be a part of a, a national championship team, or you can go somewhere else, and we're still going to win national championships. And Barry said it with bluster, and but he could back up the arrogance because at that time Oklahoma was playing for him just about every other year. So, yeah. uh, anyway, long way of saying. Thanks again for Aaron Murray joining us. With the exception of Oklahoma in 2000, and, and you know, they won them, won other ones back in the day. You know, they do kind of come in clusters if you think about it, Mike. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, Florida State finally broke through in 93. They won it again in 99. Mm-hmm. Florida had the 06, which was a surprise. Then they won it in 08. Even Ohio State, who upset Miami in 02 and then played for it a bunch. They come right back and they win it in 14, LSU 03, 07, and they come back in 19. Um, yeah, once you get that one, I mean, Georgia obviously back to back is a little bit of an anom- anomaly, but uh, it happens sort of at close It would have been even, I'm sorry, to your point, I was just going to bolster your point. It would have been even more clustered if we had a playoff back in the 90s and early 2000s. Like Steve Spurrier would have won more than one at Florida. Bobby Bowden would have. Yes, he would have. Bobby Bowden would have won more at, than two at Florida State. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some other programs and coaches that, if they didn't have to go through that ridiculous system, where only two teams were were selected, but and very often a, a team that clearly had the ability to win it was had no chance because they finished number three on a computer poll. Uh, we it would have been more clustered than it even is today. And then he had years where the Big Ten wasn't even like the Big Ten, Pac-10 because of the Rose Bowl time, which I always thought was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that they, 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 you'd have a split title a lot of years. Washington split a title win in 91 uh, with Miami. Uh, Michigan split a title in 97. Uh, I personally think Miami would have, in 91, would have drugged the floor with Washington. Uh, and I think in 97, uh, you know, uh, Nebraska, that Nebraska team, would have just annihilated Michigan, annihilated them. 
But, um, you know, you'll never know. It came down to voters back then and, and all that. But it's, uh, yeah, I, and you're right. The Steve Spurrier point spot on. And that's why he always was like, need a playoff, need a playoff, need a playoff. Well, well they want to ha- think about it. Now we autumn, whoever wins the SEC mm-hmm. is almost, well, they, they get in universally. Like, that's not even controversial. But I bet if we look back at it, the SEC champion has been the favorite in the championship game almost every time uh unless you have two sec teams and one of the sec teams has to be an underdog so you go back to the spurrier era at florida he won six sec championships he played for a national title twice got waxed by nebraska in 95 beat florida state in 96 do you think if (laughs) if he had four other cracks at a four-team college football playoff they, they wouldn't have been hanging a few more banners in gainesville of course I they mean, would. Look, yeah, and he would have learned his lesson after the Nebraska game in 95. The whole thing was, uh, number one, he needed to fix his defense. Yeah, you know, he upgraded from the Zucker to uh, Bob Stoops, so they played better defense. And then number two, uh, he, uh, by the time that next championship game came, he got his butt in the shotgun. Right. Remember, because Florida oh, State absolutely. kept hitting yeah, yeah, yeah. Orful and hitting him, and finally Hit to the whistle. Like, eh, shoot, I don't want to get in the shotgun, but – she would think we're just going to get in the shotgun. And yeah. then, boom, you saw what happened. 50 to, they hung half a hundred on Florida State the next time. So I absolutely yeah. agree. Steve Spurrier would be sitting on more national titles. And and Bowden would have more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of those Miami teams yes. might have more. I mean, you, you had some years where the one of those teams that would make the national championship game was clearly not the second best team in college football. But that's just the way the system 90- was. 93 Notre Dame, was that it? 90, 93 Notre Dame, 91 Notre Dame. One, one of those other Lou Holtz teams was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, yeah, the, the 93 the ninety three Notre Dame team, think about this. The 93 Notre Dame team beats Florida State, mm-hmm. beats them. Then they wind up, so they're like 10 and 0, and they inexplicably lose to Boston College on a last-second field goal. Ugh. Now, and today, and that's back when Notre Dame played a lot of heavyweights. Mm-hmm. They take a lot of uh, slack for their schedule now, and justifiably so. But back then, they played a lot of heavyweights. If you were to take the, that Notre Dame team ten and one with a win against mighty Florida State, who wound up winning the national title, Warwick Dunn, Charlie Ward, and just a Marvin Jones, a ridiculously talented team. Uh, that that Notre Dame team would certainly be in a playoff. It might have a chance to beat Florida State again. But the way the system was, and they, they didn't just lose, they lost late, right? So that was what swayed the voters. You can lose in September, but don't you dare lose in November because we're going to count that double it just made no we we will laugh like aliens must have been watching the way college football determined national championship and and they must have been hovering over their their ufos and watching people wait for the ap and upi and bcs and the massey poll and the sagarin poll and they must have just like been chuckling in the uh, USS. Uh, it wouldn't be called that. That's Star Trek. The whatever the title of their UFO spacecraft was, and going eh. this this mortal human form. This is the way they determine their national championship. Yeah, let's let's just stick it out in Mars. They they got a, they got a few years to catch up. Um, thankfully, we're in a better place now, and we're a year away from going from four to 
<clears throat> four to 12 and all that good stuff. Anyway. All right. Well, let's get to the mailbag, the mailbag presented by uh, synergy sports. Uh, you've heard me talk about this before. I don't know about you, JC, you seem like a, a healthy cat that doesn't have a whole lot of injuries to worry about, but uh, I have suffered my fair share playing a lot of basketball over the years. And even now pickleball will put you on the DL. If you're not careful, uh, Dr. Hatrack and company synergy release sports.com. Uh, they've got two locations in Atlanta, but honestly, he treats over 400 NFL players over his career. He works with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles. Him and his staff have incredible methods to make sure you don't have to go under the knife, to make sure you can get healthy. Or if you have had to go under the knife, they will get you rehabbed where you're feeling as good as new. They have performed miracles on people like me and others. Uh, no matter where you live, it's worth going to Atlanta and getting the right care to make sure you get healthy at synergy release sports.com. They're actually, you can catch their uh, logo on our website, JC and Uh, these are actual emails, not like the ones they used to make up on 60 minutes. Okay. Uh, this is Paul from Indiana. We're big in the Midwest. Who is going to have a better, who is going to have the better last year in the big 12? And who is more prepared going into the SEC next year, OU or Texas? So two-parter there. Um, the better last year in the Big 12. Off the top of my head, I'll go UCF. Last year. Uh, yeah. Well, Texas or Oklahoma. No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking third, the first four. The first year. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, my bad. That's okay. Texas or Oklahoma is uh, the question. I'm making up my own question. I, I would go UCF too, Mike. But, okay, yeah. Back, yeah. I think that year. was a question like a week ago or yes. two weeks ago. Uh, oh, it's it's Texas. I mean, look, I had Oklahoma last year, and I still, I still believe Brent Venables is going to do some good things in Norman. But they're not there. I mean, it, 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 what happened was you didn't just lose a coach like that would have been a that would have been tough enough. But in today's climate where you can just pilfer a bunch of players uh, and I, I don't mean that word as an illegal term, but that's you're, you're poaching players just like coaches get poached all the time. And it wasn't just Caleb Williams. They lost a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes. So uh, Texas, meanwhile, you know, you've got a quarterback in yours who some people believe could play himself into the first round of the NFL draft this year. Like his arm talent is Jeff George. Like, like it's that good. And they, even, even with the loss of B. John Robinson, who will now be playing here in Atlanta for the Falcons, they still have talent on both sides of the ball. JC. I just think they're much more prepared to, uh, to make a run. And, you know, as we do this podcast, the, the big 12 media days are about to get underway. Uh, they're going to be picked number one. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't know where Oklahoma is going to be picked. There's a lot of momentum for Texas Tech. There's mm. uh, uh, a lot of people think Kansas State's going to be uh, very good this year in the league. But I, I think that uh, the pick is Texas, and they're they're certainly going to be in better shape than OU. I think OU will bounce back this year. I just don't think they're quite there yet. I'm going to make a wild prediction for our Texas folks out there. Number one, I would have to pick Texas to win the league uh, because on paper they're good. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to say Sark doesn't make it at Texas, and Joey McGuire from Texas Tech will be the next coach of the Longhorns. Ooh. Ooh. I know that's juicy. I know we have at least one Longhorn listener, 
so right now, because I, I also on the radio in Tuscaloosa this morning, guaranteed victory for the Tide in week two over the Longhorns. So, yeah, uh, our Longhorn buddy out there, I'm not trying to pee in your cornflakes, man. But, but but I've gotten behind Texas so many times in a lot of sports. Ba- ba- this past year in basketball. We've all been burnt, burnt orange. Burnt on the, by the orange, and I'm just not doing it anymore. Until they prove to me they can consistently play tough, hard-nosed football, which is what you have to do uh, really even in the Big 12 to win because – Fundamentally, they're five and seven, eight and five, or whatever, and they routinely got out toughed by teams that couldn't touch them on paper talent wise. I'm not going to buy it. Maybe, maybe they win the league this year. Maybe they have nine and three. Maybe they don't. Uh, and look, again, on paper, you look at the roster and look at the recruiting rankings and stuff like that. Uh, I, I would, you'd have to say Texas is more prepared because of the losses Oklahoma had. But as Fire Marshal Bill said in Living Color, let me tell you something. And then Brent Venables kind of looks like Fire Marshal Bill, to be honest. Uh, but anyway. Ouch. Oklahoma <laughs> has recruited really, really well the, since he's been there on the defensive line. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you, you look at A&M, they had surprising success coming into the league because of Johnny Manziel. Uh, a roster built a lot like Texas's is, whatever. But guess who else had success early in the SEC after one transition year? It was Missouri. And guess how they did it? Uh, they weren't necessarily recruiting five-star defensive linemen, but they were the best in that league. A, a Texas friend of mine, Longhorn fan, told me, Missouri finds defensive linemen, Gary Peekle finds them better than anybody in the country. And so they're going to bring that to the SEC. And look, they won. I know those divisions were not necessarily strong at the time of the East, but they won back-to-back divisions, which I don't think anybody would have predicted. I think by the time Oklahoma gets to the league, they may be a year. I mean, this year they're probably going to seem like they're a year away. Some of these guys, Mike, are going to start to come into their own. And I think defensively, Oklahoma will, will be more physical. They'll be tougher because of the mindset of Brent Venables. And, and sort of what he's trying to instill in that program. It's almost a good thing he got there and, and hey, we're going to the SEC because he knows exactly exactly how to fight battles uh, in that league, even though he coached at Clemson. He kind of knows the Southern style. Clemson was very successful against SEC teams uh, when he was the D coordinator there. He can recruit Florida. I mean, I just I, – I, I'm going to go with Oklahoma being more prepared when they get there, but Texas being the favorite to win – the last year in the Big Twelve, if that makes any sense, uh, it makes perfect sense, and I and I, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, look, I, Dylan Gabriel's a fine quarterback, but he's not the level of what Oklahoma's had over the years. Okay, I mean, Dylan Gabriel was a was a nice QB at UCF. Um, I'm not sure he's even the best quarterback to come out of UCF the last few years. In fact, I would say he's not. Um, but Dylan Gabriel is is just not the level of what they've had. They've had Heisman guys on the reg in Norman, um, and they don't have that right now. Now maybe or maybe they do, but he hasn't surfaced yet, right? You know, maybe it's General Booty. <laughs> he, he may be there. There's a kid named Jackson Arnold. Jackson Arnold, yeah. That's uh Look out for him. But, yeah, I mean, you don't know. And, I, look, I love Dylan Gabriel, and I, I thought Oklahoma was a, was a much better football team, obviously, when he was in the game. I mean, the, the whole deal with them getting slaughtered by Texas last year, they didn't even have – I don't even 
the guy they played at quarterback, Mike, is from Greenville, South Carolina. I watched him in high school. He signed with Pitt. I, I didn't even think he'd make it at Pitt. I don't know how he got to Oklahoma and walked on. I was like, man, that's Davis Bevel. Yeah. I was like, for Oklahoma in that offense? No. But, uh, yeah, you know, and look, Jackson Arnold also, if if he does put pressure on Dylan this year, he's going to have a year of experience going into the league as well. So we'll see. But uh, you're right. Right now, the quarter, the quarterback situations of those two schools, when you compare them, are, are night and day. Because night and day, know, and, Qu- and the talent I mean, is special. He is he is special, and I would I would say I mean Oklahoma defensively, I wasn't their personnel. I wasn't blown away with. And there's a lot of, like there's a lot of anti Venables sentiment out there. I can sense it. Um, and, and very often it comes from a place that has nothing to do with football. Um, Venables is very outspoken about a number of things. Um, I, I think he's a, a, a first class dude personally, but, but there's some people that are, he's going to rub the wrong way. Um, but Brent Venables was not the problem to me last year. I, mean, it, 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 he was, he was handed the brand of Oklahoma. That was not an Oklahoma roster that we've seen for the last, you know, 20 years in Norman since, since Stoops and Riley kind of took over the reign. So uh, I think Oklahoma will be back, but I don't think they're where Texas is right now. Uh, this is from Matt in Mississippi. Uh, what do you No, Let's actually, let's go to this one. Cause we, we talked about that one. Um, yeah. The Alabama quarterback. I see, we we, I we handled Tyler that. Yeah. Buckner, yeah. This is from Buff city. And actually in Colorado. Okay. I think we've got a stu- got a Colorado uh, email address. I love it. Uh, thank you for the Colorado talk the last two weeks, especially coach B coach B. Uh, Barnett. Oh, coach Barnett. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was trying to say coach P isn't prime. Yeah. The Gary Barnett interview a couple weeks ago was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that buff city. Uh, does the big 12 or pack help see you more in recruiting with prime? This is a recruiting question. I always lean on you for these, JC. Um, and yeah, for those that missed it, we had Gary Barnett on talking about what Colorado needs to do and what's happened to Colorado. And I was just there in Boulder on a, on a, a trip uh, to Estes park and stopped there. And I mean, it's still just a beautiful campus and you, you, you feel some of the history, but you also feel like, man, this is, this is a program that's been in the abyss for a while. How do they, how do they get out of it? And we've talked about I don't think they're a great fit in the pack. I think they would make all the sense in the world in the Big 12, and that's what Gary Barnett point-blank said on this show. He thinks that's going to happen. He thinks it's imminent. Um, so to go back to the question, JC, what do you think in terms of recruiting? I think recruiting because, uh, you know, the big prize, if you're Colorado, historically has been Los Angeles, but the second big prize has been Texas. And, and Texas kids aren't interested really. Uh, in going to the Pac-12, especially now the two LA schools are gone, um, I I I think it, I think making inroads in LA now with the weirdness that is those two schools being Big Ten schools uh, will be uh, the path of least resistance, as you like to say, in recruiting uh, more so than being a Pac-12 outpost trying to recruit Texas. And I, honest to God, Mike, think they, I think they need both. I think they need both states. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are two big time states for talent. You can always find players. Dion obviously is uber famous in the Dallas Metroplex uh, for his time with the Cowboys. So I, I would say Big Twelve, uh, Buff City. I think that's it. Buff City sounds. It's kind of funny. Buff City it sounds like maybe I like a, that a, a, a Route sixty six strip club. 
Well, Buck today. Welcome, welcome, Peaches, to the stage of Buff City, Buff City, Buff City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a a joke I could make a play on words, but I'm going to avoid it. Um, But uh, yeah, he's he's committed to the cause too. He actually put Buff City in his email uh, handle, so I like that. Uh, Last one, which will kind of tie into our last segment, which is five and dime. We've got uh, Paul. No, that's uh, Paul. I should do a better job stacking these. My secretary took the week off. There's Bill. I'm sorry, Bill. What's your question? Uh, Boogie Nights. It's a five for me because it's not enough, uh, not on enough for a dime. We could do a whole mm. podcast on Boogie Nights. That is a uh, that is beyond a dime for me. And the funny thing about it is, much like Pulp Fiction, when I first saw it, I was like, "What the hell was that?" I'm not sure I even liked that movie. And then I saw it again on cable, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it." And it's the same thing with Tarantino and Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yep, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, and now it's one of those rewatchables where whenever it's on cable or something, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm all in. Um, so that would be my uh, my response. On, but what about you, Mister Diggler? Uh, what What do you think? What does you and Chess Rockwell and the whole gang up there in Chicago think? It's a diver for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, it's uh, no, no, no doubt. Hundred percent dimer. So. This is the Colonel uh, Dirk. He's he puts up all the money for the films. It's a, an important part of the process. Burt Reynolds underrated. Uh, I think he was nominated for an Oscar in that, and he hated doing the movie. He he didn't like it. He was ornery. He was um, very hard to work with. If you listen to the uh, the people that actually were on that film, which that was also the the birth of um, the guy who's in Step Brothers as well. John C. Riley. John C. Riley, really good actor, funny as hell, subtly funny in that movie, but but o- overtly funny in everything else he's done uh, since then. All right, uh, that brings us to Five and Dimes, the most rewatchable movies out there. You know, whenever we pick these these movies, I get my ideas from just something I stumble across on cable, what have you. There's not like a an official Five and Dimer list that we're subscribing to. And more proof of that is the number one movie, uh, the first one on the list that you picked, JC. And I got to be honest with you, I hadn't heard of it and I hadn't seen it. I still haven't seen it. Now I know what you're talking about. And I know people that have seen it and liked it. You picked Bill Murray Quick Change. Yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of between a fiber and dimer for me, Mike. Uh, because just like the guy with Boogie Nights, it's not on. Boogie Nights is on plenty for me, so... Uh, I don't know whether it's just like the, my, you know, I, I use Hulu instead of cable. So maybe that's it, but uh, it, it's underrated. Okay. So Bill Murray and Gina Davis are like, I, I don't think they're married because I, I think that's a point of contention of the movie, but they're boyfriend and girlfriend and they rob banks and they dress up like clowns. And Randy Quaid is like the insecure third wheel friend and they rob a bank and they're just trying to get to the airport. And I believe Jason Robards is the cop. Love Jason Robards, by the way. Very good. Um, he was in John, Magnolia, another not, Paul Thomas Anderson movie who made Boogie Nights. And who, by the way, John C. Riley is in that movie as well. That's right. That's right. I was thinking about Magnolia when you did Played and the I'm cop. Like, I, Paul Thomas, one day we're going to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson versus Wes, Wes Anderson. One of those mm. is like my favorite director. One is garbage. 
in my opinion. Okay. So we're going to get into that one day, but we can't today. But uh, yeah, so yeah, it's between a five or a dimer for me. I, I know it's a zero for you, but uh, I would encourage Only because I haven't seen it. Yeah, I'm not I, criticizing the film. I would encourage everyone. I think I put it on our Twitter account over break, uh, over 4th of July. I would encourage everyone to go go watch that. Go check it out if you possibly You're probably going to have to pay a rental fee because I don't know if that's on any of the... Oh, hold on. I'll, I'll hit my... Uh... My my voice activated remote. Quick change, and see if it's on any of the platforms. Most of which I do not have. Uh, you could rent Quick Change for nine ninety nine. Whoa, I don't know about that. Nineteen ninety. <laughs> clownish trio: Bill Murray, Gina Davis, Randy Quaid robs banks, but can't get out of New York. Oh no no no! You can. It's available from Tubi. For three ninety nine, you can buy it for nine ninety nine. You can rent it for three ninety nine. So there you have it. That's Tubi actually has some free movies on it. I just discovered Tubi. Who mm. knew? Who knew? All right, I'm going to get to um, the next two. Uh, Midnight Run was on the other day. This is a this is a Ben Franklin for me. This is De Niro uh, exercising his comedic chops. This is the late Charles Grodin. If ever there was a role made for Charles Grodin, it was this. Uh, it's the kind of the classic buddy movie, but although they're not, they don't start off as buddies, but they kind of form a a relationship under dire circumstances. This movie has so many funny one-liners that that me and my friends still quote today. It is a classic uh, for my money. So for me, this is a Ben Franklin. Need to see it. Um, wow, and, and, you've yeah. seen Quick Change, but you haven't you've seen, seen Midnight, Midnight Run. Run. And I've read, I've, I've read I, I was kind of studying up on it and cheating. And I, I do recognize some of the, the quotes from the movie, but uh, yeah, just more I'm writing one, that down. Like, two on the phone, I got that on the list along with okay. uh, you know, Last Chance You and uh, and all that stuff. So you got, you got a lot of catching up to do. We're gonna lock uh, yeah, you in a vault and make you watch this. Finally, started breaking bad about. Two months ago, and slowly working my way through it. So, oh, you're <laughs> going to be addicted to that show, probably so. That show's so. right up your alley. I'm telling you yeah. right now, uh, Breaking Bad is a is a it's the modern day Sopranos in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, last one, Forrest Gump. That's a way above a Franklin. It's a Ben Franklin. Like I, so I saw this movie first on a date when it came out. Me too. The date and the date wasn't very good, and it might have sullied my feelings of the movie so then i gave it another chance on cable and and then then i found myself watching it again and again and again and the older i get the more i appreciate the movie yes hanks won an oscar and he's great in the role but i'm also i've always been fascinated that there's one area in history the 1960s fascinates me so much of this movie kind of rifles through the 1960s from the Kennedy assassination to Vietnam and beyond. Uh, and you actually feel like you are, you are taken into, into a time machine dropped in the middle of like 1968. And you're, you're going back and you're living through it all. I think this was Zemeckis that directed this, who also did yes. back to the future, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, this, did you know that where this movie was filmed? Yeah, Buford, South Carolina. Buford, South Carolina. I had no idea. Uh, for those yeah. that don't know, Buford is like a small, sleepy beach town 
on the yeah. coast of South Carolina, and I have a, happen to have a good friend that lives there. So I've been there a couple of times. I didn't know that till like recently. There's yeah, a whole Netflix thing on the making of, of Gump. It's supposed to be set in Savannah, but Buford and Savannah look a lot alike. And uh, right. Buford's down there, if, if everybody out there knows Hilton Head, Buford is Hilton Head is in Buford County. So it's it's kind of the other spot uh, down there. My granddaddy used to call it the end of the world because uh, you go down 95 towards Georgia and Florida and you're down at the tip of South Carolina. It's kind of the end of South Carolina. He, tells yeah. you, he didn't like to leave the state that much. But uh, I, I saw something interesting just two days ago on this movie, Mike. Uh, real quick, um, they were talking to Tom Hanks about the voice he used for Forrest Gump. And he said Zemeckis came to him. He's like, we got a problem because we got to get the kid that played young Forrest to talk like you and all this other stuff. And he's like, well, hold on, Robert. Why, why don't we talk like him? And the kid was from Mississippi. And so he talked like this. I like banana pudding, you know. And, and and Hanks was just like, they spent hours with this kid and and he took the kid's voice and applied it to Forrest Gump. That's all I got to Favorite say. Favorite quote of the movie? Oh, man. I, I'm going to go off. Get... I'm going to go off the grid. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with his teacher that the mom, Sally Field, wants him to not have to kind of go in the special program. He's just off the mm-hmm. spectrum. And so uh, the teacher kind of makes an advance. And next thing you know, there's a a, a scene where you kind of know what's going on inside the house while Forrest is waiting outside. There's some uh, rather loud noises going on. And the teacher walks out all hot and sweaty and buttoning up his shirt. And he says, your mama sure do care about your schooling, son. That to me is an underrated quote. I I think funny quote, uh, it would be – I'm sorry, I broke up your Black Panther party. Black Panther party, I like that. But then the man, the end scene. I'll choke up if I. Well, that's a, yeah. We don't want to. It's like we'll keep it light uh, here. Bo- I didn't... I'll say part of it. Both. What he goes. Both, maybe. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot! Come on, now, see, Mike. I can already see you getting missed. You're killing see, me, man. You folks that don't know JC, that's his, a tough his, scene. <laughs> his gruff and rough exterior. There is a, a, a large-hearted softy behind that facade, uh, and I and it, all it takes is the mere mention of the ending of Forrest Gump to bring it out. But yeah, that's a again. When I first saw it, I was like, I, I don't think so. Well, what do you think? Last thing on this, and I know we got to move on. Weakness of the movie. Was there a character that you're like, eh? We, no, I, okay, so some of the historical scenes to me, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I don't want to say they weren't period, but it, it, it just, uh, and probably the, the football was, was maybe the one that I was like, eh. Here's my, um, uh, glad you said that, because that ties in, it dovetails into my weakness. You remember, he makes Forrest Gump, the pride of Alabama's special teams unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, under the bear, Bear Bryant, he winds up becoming an All-American. And I had to go back and think about it. Well, wait a minute, because he made the All-American team. Remember, he drinks too many Dr. Peppers, and he's mm-hmm. got to go to the bathroom. Like, what position did he play? He made it solely as a returner. Yeah. <laughs> because the guy, the I mean, the guy ran like a 4-2, right? So, okay. You're an all-American return man. You run a 4-2. I realize Bears' con- offense was a little more conservative 
back in the sixties. So you weren't able to kind of use him in the slot more and, you know, maybe more of a, uh, uh, maybe a scat back or or just something to some jet sweeps. I mean, you can't tell me Gump wouldn't be, he would have been like Percy Harvin. Gump could have been averaging 10 yards per touch in the proper offense, but granted I, it's a period piece. That's not, that's not the way bear did things. And it worked yeah, out pretty good for the bear, but you so, can't tell me he wouldn't have been drafted in the NFL. Back then you had like 20 rounds. I'm not going to spend a 12th round draft pick on a guy that runs a four, two, and he doesn't have an NFL career? Come on and, now. I think and in Gump, a wishbone. He's playing you have in the league. Back. You have a wing back and a wishbone too. Like speaking That's of true. Percy Harvard. So uh, now I don't yeah. know if he can take the punishment. He wasn't he was still kind of frail. So I don't know, you know, he definitely not going between the tackles. Just but man, I can find a role for it. Yeah, I guess I'd, my I'd biggest this. gripe is Gump should have had an NFL career. As opposed to, you know, and it worked out okay. He became a millionaire investing into things like Apple. But uh, I just think Gump should have had 10 years in the league, would have been a Hall of Fame returner. He could have been the Billy White Shoes Johnson of his day. And instead, they just, they cut that whole storyline off because for whatever reason, they they didn't see what we see, which is clearly... He was underutilized. That kind of speed and that kind of vision in the return game, you can't cut, you can't teach that. That's that's born. That's innate. So Gump was underutilized, and it bothers me to this day. I, one, the one negative thing, or besides, you know, some of the stuff, I it ruined against the wind by Bob Seger for me because that soundtrack was just full of like popular songs and stuff, and so for the longest time, I like just that song. I just associated it with Forrest Gump, but I, I like a lot of other Bob Seger songs, you know, better and stuff. But if you ever listen to the lyrics to that thing, that is a deep cut track. That is a mm. deep song. Uh, you know, if you go th- go through the lyrics to Against the Wind, don't just think about it as a run, Forrest, run. Uh, what's yeah. one of the run, you know, just, uh, I mean, man, it, it's a, it's because Nat, my fiance, uh, that's on her alarm. <laughs> so when she wakes wow. up in the morning uh, against the wind, and, and I started listening to the lyrics one morning, I was like, man, that's a deep, it's a deep. Deep cut. That's, that's as deep as, uh, you know, uh, Fire Lake or Roll Me Away or Hollywood Nights or uh, Turn the Page. I mean, you we know, got all, all of the secret greats. We got tonight. Yeah. So anyway, let's make tomorrow. Uh, I think the soundtrack is one of the strengths of the movie overall, too. Yes, you know, I agree. Back then, you could just pick the best hits of the 60s and 70s and just roll with it. Um, and by now, it's been done a thousand times over, but. It was still pretty fresh then. Okay, that concludes Five and Dime. Uh, next podcast, I promise, Benny from Gwinnett County wanted uh, to, to know about the AJC article and what's going on now with Georgia. We kind of touched on this a little bit with um, with the Northwestern story, how uh, there are certain towns and media markets that kind of look the other way on certain things. There are other ones that really want to go after and have the shock value story. And then there's a lot in the middle. And so this also ties into that a little bit. I know some of the people that cover Georgia very well. And I know just how you, you, there's something in your mind that, that calculates, okay, how much of this story that I'm going to report, is it really going to make me look good like a great reporter versus the amount of hate and vitriol I'm going to forever face covering the team and their fan base are always going to just dislike me over this. 
if not want to cancel me over this. And I think that has to go through the mind. I've never been in that situation, thankfully, but but the people that do this and I, I would say, J.C., you've probably had to, to, to do that from time to time, uh, yeah. maybe in, a, in, a, in your former uh, work or even current work, but we'll we'll get yeah. heavy into that's that's more than yeah. Like a I, I got seconds. some opinions on. I'm not so sure that this is Georgia's people overreacting. I I because I, I actually went and read the police reports and and so did my buddy Josh Pate who works for 24 seven and yeah. I I think there's some some kind of uh, bigger picture stuff we can get in with that, but I okay. I, uh, I, uh, I I can't. Uh, we'll do that next podcast because that's. That's going to take old JC a while to get all his thoughts out on. That. I, I figured that's you've got plenty of thoughts on that. Uh, so we'll we'll tap into that and we'll get into a bunch of other stuff next week. Might have another guest as well. That'll do it for us. Podcast number two hundred one here on JC and Morgan. Appreciate Aaron Murray for joining us. Appreciate all of you listening in. Appreciate the emails on the mailbag on jcandmorgan.com. dot com. And as always, we're on every platform out there. We continue to grow by the thousands thanks to you and appreciate all the good reviews you give us on the various platforms. Till next week, for JC, this is Mike. We'll be talking some SEC Media Days a week from now. So long, everybody.